Welcome to the WCAPS 5 podcast series. WCAPS is an online community dedicated to strengthening the leadership and professional development of women of color, specializing in the fields of peace, security, conflict transformation, and foreign policy. Join us as we unpack their valuable perspectives, learn from their strategies, and grow together. Vive. Vision. Impact. Voice. Engagement. So thank you all for joining today. My name is Warda Amir. Uh, I co-chaired the WCAPS Chemical, Biological, Radiological, Nuclear Policy Working Group with Sylvia Mishra, who's also on the call today. Uh, and it is our pleasure to be joined by Dr. Mark Maddox, uh, who is the director of the Graduate Fellowship Program at the Center for the Study of WMD. We are also joined by alum of this program, Ms. Jenny Naylor and Major Majidi, who will also be sharing their experiences with us today. So I'm really grateful to you all for taking the time. And I think it really helps to not only learn about a program, but how people can apply, but then also hear the experiences that people have been through through that program so that we could share that uh, with our WCAPS membership today. So thank you very much. Without you know spending any more time, I will go ahead and hand it over to Dr. Mark Maddox to go ahead and uh, give us uh, a little bit of an introduction about himself and, and share. Uh, he's, he's been really kind to put together some slides to share information on this program with us today. So thank you so much, Dr. Maddox, and, and I'll turn it over to you. Well, it's just a real pleasure to be with you today, and I, I'm so appreciative of the invitation and applaud the work that you're doing. What an important uh, endeavor this is for us to, to uh, achieve the, the very objectives that your organization has. So thank you very much for what you do. I think that uh, at, some, at some point in American history, we will read in history books of the good work done by organizations like this. And uh, so we just keep chipping away at the problem and uh, uh, you're enabling that process. So thank you very much. Let me take just a moment before we begin to brag upon about two of our alums who are with us, Jenny uh, and Hobby. What treasures of our program they are. Uh, they, they contributed so much and they to our program, and they're out there in the field contributing so very, very much. My only hope is that their time spent in the program helped enable that process, but we'll let them speak for themselves on that. And uh, I'll provide some, some facts and figures background and try to answer questions wherever uh, it would be helpful to do so, but uh, they're the ones who can, can, can help us out on the matters of greatest substance, I think. Whatever your list of gravest dangers to peace and security may include, a complete list must include weapons of mass destruction. And I think it's worth thinking through, what are the gravest dangers out there? There's certainly more than one, but uh, the problem of weapons of mass destruction is not a relic of the 20th century. It became perspicuous in the 20th century, it didn't originate there, but uh, and it provided the context for much of the, the 20th century, especially the Cold War, so the last half of the century. Uh, it's, it's not something that is a thing of the past by any means. And so a, a serious look 
at problems of securing peace and security have to include an understanding of WMD and I add WMD like events. Now this is very important because uh, take for a very uh, uh, accessible example, the COVID-19 crisis that we're experiencing right now. It is, I would offer, a WMD-like event. And I can tell you, one of the things that has really hit home to me on that one is that in classes that, that I would teach at National Defense University to um, officers uh, from the uniformed services, but also uh, mid-level managers from across the interagency, that uh, now we're entering into strategic level leadership. We would discuss a year ago, two years ago, uh, what we would imagine a pandemic to be like. And lo and behold, here we are. Uh, and we discussed it in terms of it being a WMD-like event. And lo and behold, it is, uh, as we look at the staggering numbers involved. And so I think that we probably do ourselves uh, a disservice as we limit our thinking to merely a big boom and a mushroom cloud, and that's what we mean by WMD. Well, that certainly is part of what we mean, but that's not all we mean. And uh, as you look at problems in the information sphere, cyber attacks uh, upon the United States government uh, or upon other critical nodes of our national infrastructure, WMD-like in their possible effect. And so that is why it's, it's important and relevant for an organization that aspires to to uh, to place the right people in fields dealing with peace and security, to have the right background and understanding as it pertains to these kind of things. And here's some specific reasons why we need more public servants who understand the countering WMD problem. And they are pressing reasons. Uh, the first is that the countering WMD challenge is getting harder. It's not getting easier. Uh, we would assume uh, that uh, 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 perhaps on the surface of it, that uh, as nuclear weapons seem to be, uh, again, more passe, uh, the 20th century being the century of physics and, and the 21st century being the, the century of biology and chemistry, that, uh, that somehow the, the, we're resolving these problems, we have a handle on them. No, we really don't. And those who study this and, and, and uh, become familiar with it, I think, uh, come to the same conclusion. The problem is becoming less tractable than it ever was. There is not enough public servants who are properly equipped to understand the countering WMD big picture. This is a huge problem. In the United States government, we have all kinds of little islands of expertise of high specialization uh, that deal with WMD. Uh, there's literally dozens of agencies that have somebody with a portfolio or some office with a portfolio uh, dealing with WMD. You even find in places like the Department of Agriculture, a Department of Treasury, places that you wouldn't normally associate with WMD, there are people dealing with it. In Health and Human Services, there are people there dealing with it. And yet, in so many of these places, to include in the uniform services, the, we have these little islands of high expertise that don't talk to anyone. Not necessarily because they're trying to be parochial, 
there's an element of that that always happens in a bureaucracy, but that's not the, the, the real driver. The real driver is that the subject matter is such that it, it lends itself to a very broad uh, discussion, but there's no genuine apparatus for having a cross-cutting discussion that, in, that truly involves the whole interagency in a meaningful way. As a result, it's very hard to come by people who understand the big picture. And these specializations, while essential, create communication challenges across the WMD policy and technology divide. We have, and uh, Javi and, and Jenny will be able to talk to this, because in their work, they find themselves, in the case of Javi, more on the technology side, and in the case of Jenny, more on the policy side. But they can both tell you that in order to address the problem in a meaningful way, there's got to be crosstalk and the ability to understand one another's lexicon. As already noted, this is a problem that involves the whole interagency. So there's something for everyone here. As broad as the interagency is, that th this problem is commensurately broad. Now, here's an interesting quote that I would invite you just to think through with me. Buckmeister Fuller created the quote, unquote, knowledge doubling curve. He noticed from his research that until 1900, human knowledge doubled approximately every century. By the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. Today, things are not as simple as different types of knowledge have different rates of growth. For example, nanotechnology is, uh, knowledge is doubling every two years and clinical knowledge every 18 months. But on average, human knowledge is doubling every 13 months. According to IBM, the build out of the internet of things will lead to a doubling of knowledge every 12 hours. Now, I have what I call the, the Maddox 50% wrong rule. Uh, let's assume that that estimate of knowledge doubling every 12 hours is 50% wrong, so that in reality, it only doubles every 18 hours. There, do you feel satisfied now? Do you feel safe that you know everything that you need to know if you have 18 hours rather than 12 hours to deal with the doubling of knowledge? Uh, let's, let's assume that, that it's uh, another 50% wrong. Let's double that to 36 hours. There, do you feel safe now? You see the point. Uh, there was a very interesting address given by the, the Librarian of Congress who really belongs in this organization. You, you need to contact the Librarian of Congress, brilliant woman, who um, uh, I'm sure would share many of your goals. She gave a commencement address that I was really taken by. She said that uh, to the, the class that she was speaking to congratulations, the degrees that you've just earned will be worthless in five years. Now, if that's not an attention grabber, I don't know what is. Now, I, I'm in a field where, uh, with my training being in, in philosophy, that the wheels of progress probably turn a little bit slower. Five years from now, people will still be reading Plato and Aristotle in my field. But even so, the understanding of these fields will be, be markedly different because of the amount of information that's available. Uh, to include information about ancient sources that no one knew about, uh, uh, only 
a few years ago. So many things continue to be turned over and coming to light as libraries become digitized and so on. And so uh, even in a very slow moving field, knowledge is rapidly advancing. So this, as you put these two problems together, first of all, the nature of the WMD problem itself, and its general intractability on a good day, and the fact that knowledge is increasing with the rapidity that it is, that suggests, uh, I think very strongly, that we need people who continue training in the field of WMD. And that irrespective of whether they have a background in WMD or not. In fact, uh, in many ways, not having a background in WMD as such is an advantage uh, in as much as it brings a diverse uh, perspective on a very diverse topic. So staying current, my message would be on the state of knowledge uh, required to enhance peace and security really demands an ongoing effort. Here's another interesting one about the value of graduate certificates. Uh, people are generally familiar with bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and doctoral degrees, uh, less familiar perhaps with graduate certificates, but notice this very interesting statistic that according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, approximately 51.9% of employees with an advanced degree hold a graduate certificate. And the rationale given uh, here by Northwestern University, why? Not only because they are valuable on their own, but graduate certificates are a convenient stepping stone on the pathway to earning a graduate degree. So either way, both possessors of graduate degrees get them and people who are on en route to a graduate degree get them. They are broadening. They demonstrate, I think, uh, in a compelling way, uh, the intent of a serious-minded person to remain current. Because it's not simply just random credits. It's something that's structured into a recognized academic program, and yet uh, of, of, a, of a length of time and size that I think is digestible, that's manageable, and demonstrates a serious effort to want to be current. So keep that in mind. Uh, start looking for these. I had an interesting conversation with a with a, uh, uh, a fellow who works for a computer firm recently, and I said, uh, uh, "What do you look for in an applicant?" And computer science degrees? He said, "Well, not at all. We're looking for certifications." And he said, "Because the uh, a four year com computer science degree has its place." But for, uh, for people who are, are working in the workaday world of, computers, uh, of computer technology, we need people who have cer certificate training. And I said, well, just will any certificate do? And he said, oh, no, no, there's gradations of certificates. Just like there's good, de good degrees and better degrees, there's also good certificates and better certificates. I said, well, how do you tell? He said, well, I'll tell you what my own experience was. I went to a job interview. And the interviewer said to me, do you know about, and I'm just making up some sequences here to illustrate the point, do you know about uh, systems one, two, three? And he said, yes, I know that. Do you know about four, five, six? Yes, I know about that. Do you know about uh, X, Y, Z? Uh, I know about that. And this, have the certifications associated with that? Yes. What about EIEIO? And he was stopped and, and in his tracks and he said, I'm afraid I don't know what that is. 
And he said, well, that's good because I made it up. This, the interviewer is saying this. And, and why? To see if this person who was claiming certification in these areas really uh, knew what he was talking about. Uh, so this idea of certification is really gaining traction. And the recognition of the value of a graduate certificate is increasing. Now, let me talk with that background in mind about the Countering WMD Graduate Fellowship Program. This is a joint undertaking between National Defense University and Missouri State University. Now, Missouri State University might not be the institution whose name rolls right off the tongue in, in your life experience. I will tell you that Missouri State University is one of the best kept secrets in Washington, D.C., and not only one of the best kept secrets, one of the best things that you should know about uh, for professional development. They have a truly world-class program. Now, I want to pause and say world-class is a cliche now. I mean it in the literal sense of the word, uh, of the phrase, world-class. They have a world-class program in defense and strategic studies. And that program was moved from Springfield, Missouri, where Missouri State University is lock, stock, and barrel to Washington, D.C., so that the department is here. And this is the organization that we partner with for, the degree, for this fellowship. Our, the curriculum covers a full range of missions, both in extant and emerging policy and strategy. It leads to a substantive graduate certificate in WMD studies in one academic year. Now, to put things in perspective, we currently have a two-year program, the first year of which is the graduate certificate. We uh, have a, a second-year program that leads to a master's degree, and one uh, the certificate feeds directly into the master's program. At this moment in time, with the uncertainties induced by COVID, with the change in administration, with uh, budget decisions still pending, we are trying to be uh, true, uh, true and faithful um, uh, providers of information. And we're advertising for recruitment purposes this year only the graduate certificate with high hopes that uh, our program that has been going on for a decade now with great success will continue in its present form, but we are sure that, it will, that we will have the graduate certificate this next year. All work on the graduate certificate in WMD studies, which I would point out, our program actually caused Missouri State University to institutionalize as a graduate certificate, didn't exist before our program, can be applied directly to a master of science degree or to a professional doctorate. No credits lost, everything transfers. Now, our program accepts no transfer credit. And the reason for this is because the program is not diploma collectors sort of thing. I mean, there are people out there, believe it or not, who just like to collect degrees. This is not for degree collectors. This is for, for people who want to actually broaden their understanding and bridge gaps of the kind we talked about earlier. And so therefore, we have a fixed uh, uh, curricular items that we really want people to, to uh, be familiarized with. Here's how the program works. In, in blue, the color for NDU, uh, you see what NDU does. In maroon, the color for Missouri State University, you see what they do. Uh, at NDU, we have what is called the Center for the Study of Weapons of Mass Destruction that has been assigned by the Department of Defense the 
quote-unquote focal point mission for WMD education. For, on the part of MSU, the Graduate Department of Defense and Strategic Studies has nationally recognized graduate programs. NDU selects the fellows for the fellowship and manages the program. MSU awards the graduate certificate. It is the, the credential granting institution. And, and that's one of the reasons that we pair with this institution. Because, uh, it is a community building colloquium compatible uh, capstone work that, that takes uh, much of the second year of the program for the fellows. And then MSU courses comprise much of the formal academic program, especially during the first year, the year that we're talking about now that grants the graduate degree analysis, policies, programs, and options, as well as theory. Theory is important, but uh, uh, we we also uh, want to complement that understanding of theory with things that uh, are immediately valuable in the workplace, uh, because that's part of the way we mitigate the effect of the warning by the Library of Congress that five years from now, your degree won't be worth anything. Well, but if you learn how to stay current on policies and programs uh, and have the proper context for that, it is possible to navigate uh, that uh, that otherwise difficult channel of staying current. Here's how the graduate certificate is structured. We have, uh, first of all, a, a set of, it, it consists of five classes, so for 15 graduate credit hours. Uh, four of those classes include uh, this core knowledge that you see here, nuclear strategy and arms control, chemical and biological warfare, and we and that can be uh, available in, in one of two varieties. For those who would like a more introductory uh, approach to it, there is an introductory course. For those who have a background in it, then there's there are advanced offerings, counter proliferations, and then the choice between studying emerging strategic challenges or instruments of state power. Now, we complement that with our colloquium, which involves community building exercises, uh, guest lecture program, visits to, to places for hands-on opportunities in laboratories and other places, operational sites, so that people can understand uh, exactly how in the operational world things are transpiring with respect to countering WMD. Now, the colloquium has, invo has involved uh, traditionally in-class networking. Uh, during COVID, we have moved virtually every, well, I, I don't want to use the word virtually uh, in an unhelpful way. We've moved almost everything online. There are some things where we've had the luxury of doing so, where we got people together and took them on field trips. We've had some fascinating field trips. For example, we went on a, a walking tour of Washington, D.C. Uh, with uh, officials from, from the Federal Emergency Management Agency and Homeland Security and walked the terrain of what would be uh, involved in the uh, detonation of a 10 kiloton improvised nuclear device. We went to where, would, where it was imagined would be ground zero. We looked at the buildings and uh, along that radius that we walked from the, the ground zero to, the, to the, the clean zone in the outer radius and uh, imagined what kind of problems there would be with search and rescue, what kind of places um, uh, casualties could be uh, uh, could be gathered? We had identified force on the ground here, based on radiation uh, contamination levels, would be where the 
the the hazard area starts. Here's where the zone of moderate contamination is. Here's where the clean zone is. The game just life to theory. Uh, and that's just one example of the kind of things that we do in the colloquium. Now, as the, the program currently exists, it, um, it builds right into a master of science degree. And those of our, uh, of our fellows who are first year students now will continue on with this program in which they engage in a semester long, very intensive writing course. And maybe Hobby and, and Jenny would like to talk about that a bit. We have an internship uh, where you, uh, and this is a fascinating internship. You don't have to go to another organization to find your internship. You take it where you're already working. And you might say, well, why would I need an internship where I'm already working? Because the task we assign you is to look at your job from the standpoint of the countering WMD problem and ask yourself, how is it that what I do in the government figures into this larger project of the, of the U.S. government? Uh, concerning weapons of mass destruction. Our attitude is that WMD is like sugar in the supermarket. Sure, you can find on the shelf, the bottom shelf of aisle four, midway down in the supermarket, uh, white sugar, brown sugar, dark brown sugar, light brown sugar, granulated sugar, confectioner sugar. But the reality is that any place you go in the supermarket, almost anything you buy except aluminum foil, is going to have sugar in it to a greater or lesser degree. Everything. And so uh, that's how WMD is. In some places in the government, it's, it may factor in in a less obvious way. Sometimes it's so obvious that it's all consuming, but it's there. And we draw out those connections. And we've had people come from the, the internship and say, this is this was so mind expanding for me. I never thought of my job in this way. I never saw the problem in this light. We have a, a capstone project that the class does, and we have individual research projects uh, that are done uh, coupled with a comprehensive oral examination that uh, uh, leads to the completion of the award of the Master of Science degree. Now, let's say a word about higher education and, and COVID-19. We have structured the program so that the entire graduate certificate can be completed online. And uh, we are very, very proud of the, the progress that we were able to make in order to enable that. Um, it, it's, a, it's a different learning environment. And of course, you will hear on the news um, pros and cons to include significant criticisms of online learning. Let, let me just offer this for as your food for thought. Uh, each of you have been through academic programs uh, in person. And what you discovered uh, starting in kindergarten and going all the way through your, your uh, post-secondary experience is there are good classes and there are bad classes. There are good instructors and there are bad instructors. The way you got the information was not nearly as critical as having a good instructor who did the right things to impart knowledge to you in the way you needed, provided one-on-one -on -one guidance when you needed it, etc. That's the attitude we take with, with uh, uh, our online education. We're committed to a quality online experience. And I, I think uh, so far, we have reason to feel optimistic about that. MSU 
offers extensive online program for building on the graduate certificate uh, all the way through their doctoral program. Now, we have a diverse community uh, in terms of portfolio. This will give you some idea of where you find not just uh, people dealing with the WMD problem, but our graduates. This is where they come from. They're all over the place in government. And uh, you might uh, consider what you do and find yourself in one or more of these slices of a very large pie. There really is something for everyone. And that's, this has been very gratifying for us to be able to, to, um, to cast so wide of a net that it incorporates this breadth of public service. Now, eligibility for the program. Uh, first of all, for purposes of this program, one must be a U.S. government employee, not a contractor, but a, a, but a Fed, uh, a U.S. government employee. Uh, for the uniform services, that includes um, active duty, National Guard, and Reserve. Uh, if your only connection to the government is, I'm a reservist, um, you know, in the inactive reserve, that's enough of a connection. It's an official uh, connection with the with the federal government. It also is open to U.S. government civilians across the board. Now, as far as background, this is a graduate program, and uh, so we do require a bachelor's degree, but it can be in any discipline. And again, here we cast the net quite widely. Uh, we have people from all kinds of backgrounds, not only a wide variety of disciplines, which is itself gratifying, but we also have people with advanced credentials with already having master's degrees or PhDs or professional degrees uh, like uh, MD or JD or doctor of veterinary medicine. We have all of those. Jenny is a JD, for example, uh, who's come to the program and, and possessed her her uh, her legal degree prior to coming to the program. We had another person who came in with a PhD in biology and a doctor of veterinary science who said to us, this is the hardest program I've ever had and was so happy that she'd taken it because of the way that it complemented and opened her eyes to things that she was unaware of. Let me tell you about this particular student who, of, of whom I'm referring. She worked at the, uh, the, uh, the Army's laboratories at Aberdeen Proving Grounds. Uh, while she was taking the program, her, uh, she comes into the lab one day and her group is uh, having a huddle about uh, research that they're going to be undertaking. She joins the meeting, and as she understands what it is they're proposing to do, her fellow scientists, she said, we can't do that. There's an international treaty that, that governs this and prohibits this. Well, you can imagine, jaws drop, all heads turn. Where did this come from? Think about what she accomplished by knowing that. She may have saved the government millions of dollars. In, in the pursuit of an unfruitful avenue uh, because she had this cross-cutting knowledge. That's what we're talking about. We, like, we, we need a recommendation from the supervisory chain uh, and the ability to maintain a, a government secret clearance. Now, with respect to funded, uh, funding, the program is fully funded for uh, Defense Department personnel, both military and civilian, all books, tuition, and fees. And that is, again, even if your connection to the Department of Defense is 
is the inactive reserve. That's a, a, an official Department of Defense uh, connection. From other federal agencies, applicants come with their own funding, uh, which means as a practical matter uh, that that agency can fund or the student can self-fund. But we've had great success in finding that agencies uh, are willing to send students uh, to take this program for uh, the benefit that will accrue to their agency. Now, as far as funding, here's, here is a, uh, a ballpark representation. Of course, uh, numbers change every academic year, but this will give you a, a, an idea of what is involved for, for those who are paying. But I would point out to you that even at the out-of-state tuition rate, and if you happen to be from Missouri, you get the in-state tuition rate, of course, but even for an out-of-state tuition rate, look at the total cost of that degree. That is a fraction of the cost of an Ivy League degree, and I can tell you that this program is absolutely competitive with any Ivy League program. I have no hesitancy whatsoever in saying that. Um, so this, this is bargain basement prices for a, for a uh, penthouse view of the city level education. Uh, so keep that in mind and put in perspective as uh, uh, costs are soaring for higher education as they are, that even for self-funding, this is a huge bargain. Well, to apply, here's uh, a website you might like to just jot down and then uh, an email address that uh, you can address your inquiries to, cwmdfellowship at ndu.edu. And we welcome both. We welcome both applications and uh, your inquiries. You're very welcome to, uh, to share. I I've sent a copy of the slides PDF, and you're very welcome to make those available to others who may not have been able to participate with us today. But uh, that is, I, I think that our greatest advantage will accrue from your hearing from Jenny and Hobby now. Uh, let them let them uh, offer their insights, and uh, that's how I recommend that we might proceed. If that's okay with you, that sounds good to me. So thank you so much, Dr. Maddox. Appreciate you taking the time to deliver that presentation to us, and and preparing slides. We'll make sure to make them available um, to everybody who's interested. Um, and um, thank you so much. I My do pleasure. want to welcome questions uh, for Dr. Maddox as well, but then also. Uh, while we switch over to speaking to Ms. Ms. Naylor and Major Majidi. So I do think it's very valuable to hear from those who have been through this program. And uh, so Jenny, I'll, I'll start with you and then we can we can switch over to Major Majidi. Ms. Naylor, do you mind uh, sharing with us what was the most valuable experience that you felt going through this program? Sure. Um, and thank you so much for the opportunity to actually talk about my experience going through this program. It is actually one of the hardest things I ever have to do. I mean, I went to law school at night and working a full-time job during, during the day. And still this master's degree was still nothing like, I mean, the law degree is nothing compared to this master's degree. So 
I think what's so unique about this program is that you know you you have the resource of the Center for the Study of WMD in supporting your academic pursuit, and so that includes all the opportunity that comes with being the focal point of uh, the study of WMD in the in in the federal government. So that includes like your annual symposium, any sort of spotlight events, and even just having the opportunity to have like one on one conversations with you know, the tightened in the industry. And, and also, you know, you're in a small classrooms with mid-level professions in the defense or security community. And so you sort of create this safe space to try out different ideas and to think creatively. There's really no judgments amongst all the cohorts. And so, you know, a lot of time we're just tossing out ideas and trying on different, you know, solutions or you know, just brainstorming for ideas. And that, I think that was really helpful to hear other people's perspective and to come at a problem from different um, angles, you know, unpacking the problem differently, thinking about the problem differently, and possibly come up with a new solution that no one had really think of before. And I think Dr. Maddox uh, touched on this uh, during his talk that when you're in the classroom, you're really learning the fundamentals. So you're learning the histories, the theories, and what happened in the problem in the past. Because you know, problem has a tendency of recurring, right? In uh, that's what you know in the history lessons. But then at the same time, you're taking all that knowledge and then right plot apply that right into the colloquiums or in your capsule projects or doing research paper. And so you know the, the sort of um, what you're learning from the books uh, different, directly feeds into what you are sort of spitting out. You know? And so there's a real time uh, sort of feedback loop system going on there. And, um, you know, as Dr. Maddox mentioned that I already have a law degree, but I think a lot of time for federal employees or, you know, if you actually have a full-time job, it's really difficult to carve out the headspace that you need to really think deeply about peace and security, right? At the end of the day, we're also tired. The last thing we want to be thinking about is how to uh, counter proliferation of WMD. But, you know, this fellowship actually put you in that sort of mindset, you know, create this paradigm where you do think about it and it become very much part of your DNA. So I think that really is some of those really valuable lessons or uh, tools or opportunity offered by this fellowship program. So yeah, so awesome, Major Majidi. Can we switch over to your experience? What was most valuable for you going through the program? So I would say really understanding the counter weapons of mass destruction problem. And so, as Jenny said, having that be a safe space. You know, I remember our first year. You know, I think back to the discussions we had, because uh, as Professor Maddox said, when you say counter weapons of mass destruction, everyone goes nuclear or, or chem. And as he said, you know, it was this WMD like it, this pandemic and my opportunity to do research and actually get involved in how, and, and I'm going to try to make sure because it's being recorded, how we actually go into modeling some of this. Would, it, it was something like I could not have done without meeting some of the people I met there who provided me the opportunity, you know, to go out and work with another agency. So I'll give you a little bit of my background is microbiology and genetics. Um, and then I kind of switched over to medical service and healthcare administration. And I enjoy that part because it's helping people, you know, might have wanted to be pre-med, but I'm very squeamish. So that was not an avenue I could take. 
but helping people to find the right person that can do the right job at the right time doesn't just end at pure HR. But when we're talking about counter weapons of mass destruction, I'm on teams now that can understand why long-term health and education planning, specifically with DISCA or with the Chemical Corps or with the Medical Service Corps is important to ensure that we have the right set of requirements. And if we all are in government and understand policy, we need to make sure we have the right requirements. And does that person have the right tool set to meet that requirement? Um, and we're actually building programs to counter some of these WMD-like situations. And, you know, programs like this afford us the opportunity to be able to select some people who have a deep knowledge base that aren't just, you know, specific to one area. So, you know, I want to say when you think about the WMD portfolio and everything in it, you know, the paper I wrote that was virus surveillance and nanotechnology, you know, it comes full fold to a lot of people have asked me, you know, did you would you consider biological weapons? You know, I've always considered biological weapons or just, bi you know, bioterrorism is one of the greatest threats to human security and peace uh, because it's absolutely almost impossible to contain. So this program really allowed me to, you know, build that knowledge base to where, you know, I've looked into the PhD program because this problem is not going to go away. We can think that, you know, biosecurity is something that we can get a handle on, but until we can a vaccine or cure for every biological agent come up, we're just, you know, we're going to be chasing our tails and eventually we're going to need professionals who can understand not only the biology side, but the technical pieces and strategizing within government to figure out this whole of government approach. And that's where each of us come into play because we cannot sit within all levels of government all the time, but being able to educate as many people in the government that is Professor Maddox said to me, public servants to help us navigate this problem, these problems is paramount. So that's what, you know, professors playing class with the history and understanding nuclear deterrence, even in theory, that just brings everything into perspective. So I think one of the most important aspects of this program is allowing you the opportunity to not only learn the history, but then also meet and apply some of your knowledge base with others to exchange ideas. You know, as we know, just doesn't happen as easily as we can in our professions. But within this safe space, you can exchange ideas and grow ideas and come up with the next stage and the next step. Because essentially, you know, we will become the future leaders and developers and processors and analyzers, you know, over the next several years. So I truly enjoyed the program. I did. Thank you so much for saying that. And I, I really like that you kind of touched on a point that Dr. Maddox had made in this during his presentation too, about, you know, maybe not having a WMD background is an advantage, is what he said. And and, and I think you kind of talk about, you know, we, we look at Jenny, she has a, a law background and in yourself, you had a very different background. And I guess my next question to both of you would be, where were you? I want to hear a little bit more about your stories and, and your backgrounds and, and why you chose to apply to the program when you did. And where has it taken you now, being alums, and and, and want to kind of hear from you on, you know, this idea of, of why is it an advantage to have these diversity of backgrounds, uh, you know, in the WMD space, and get your thoughts on that. So we'll start with you, Jenny, and then go back to Major Majesty. Those are really tough questions, and uh, like a job interview questions almost, but I really appreciate getting them. So let me see if I can try to answer them slightly differently. So why did I choose to study WMD and why do I do this program? So I 
I've decided to, to uh, take this WMD program with the National Defense University because, well, the choice was was uh, NDU is easy because it's free, right? You know, for federal employees that has the military background. I'm actually a judge advocate in the military as well. But, you know, at the same time, this is a woman color form. So I'm going to be very blunt and very honest. And obviously the opinion expressed here is my own. It's not, not this endorsed or um, should be attributed to any of the agency that I'm affiliated with. I'm a woman of color and an immigrant. And I look and sound like Chinese, but I'm not one, right? So there's always going to be people in the security and defense community who will see me with suspicion. And the United States also has a long history of scapegoating and doubting the loyalty of its citizens with Asian heritage. So I know that I would benefit from having a degree from a trusted and well-known institution in defense and security community. With the fellowship from NDU, it opens doors. And we all know this, right? We just need one door open, right? One shot, one opportunity, right? So why did I choose to study WMD? But first, I think it is natural for people with East Asian ancestry to be curious about WMDs, right? You know, the events at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it doesn't just change the trajectory of the war, it changed the trajectory of the human history. And second, well, I'm a woman of color, but the categories that I most identify with is being a woman of color immigrant. And so my family immigrated to the United States when I was 15, and I grew up under martial law in Taiwan. And I've experienced this peaceful transformations from the longest period of martial law by a regime anywhere in the world to the vibrant democratic um, political system in Taiwan today. And that experience stays with me, you know. So what does it mean for people around the world to live, to really, really fully live the principle under the UN Charter of equal rights and the self-determination of peoples? And so many of us here in the United States um, votings and exercising other forms of democratic practices is like second nature. But for Taiwanese people and now people in Hong Kong, the democratic practices brings with them the existential threats. So I don't mean to sound like megalomaniac about this, but I do want to contribute to creating conditions under which people's aspirations for self-determination can be realized peacefully rather than under the shadows of existential threats. And so lastly, you know, uh, gets back to the whole diversity of perspective. I think my perspective on national security matters as informed by my background, a Taiwanese American immigrant, a federal government attorneys with a, an understanding of nuclear policy strategy and capability, and a public health analyst with international field experience in, in implementing developmental projects, and a judge advocate in the United States Air Force, I think I have, I, I could contribute to creating this new paradigm, right, for problem solving. So I think the question you ought to be asked yourself is, why aren't you in the game? Right? You have so much to contribute. And NDU, like I say, could open that, maybe that one door that we all need to get through, you know, to sort of find our right way into this WMD community. So what have I been doing since, this MS degree. Well, so I'm an attorney with the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and I've been, uh, I'm a member of the COVID-19 legal task force. So we've been working on various aspects of uh, 
the COVID-19 response during the earlier time period of, of law. So around February, March, um, I was uh, the person sort of looking over the quarantine process, you know. So we have uh, thousands of repatriated U.S. citizens or U.S. nationals coming back to the United States. And those people were quarantined on their federal water on military bases. So it was part of the legal team that support all of that activities. And then then it's sort of my portfolio. So around April, we start stop quarantining people and then sort of disperse that responsibility to the state and local level. So my portfolio sort of shipped over to looking at all the coming and going and all the communication between the White House, Congress, CDC, or anything that CDC has equity, including all the testimony from DOD, uh, from FEMA. So <laughs> it was just a lot of document review. And right now I'm really just working on the sort of federal vaccine campaign to make sure that um, we know how to protect the first responder, the first, uh, the federal first responders, um, and rolling out the vaccines, uh, getting you know the vaccine into the arms of the people. So that's what I have been doing um, in my job here, uh, in my civilian job on the military side. It's a little less fortunate. So right around. March timeframe, I was actually selected um, to do a full-time military duties with uh, U.S. Uh, European Command in Stuttgart and to to join the legal division there, you know, working on operational law and international law. So that would have bring me right into the fold of like a group of attorneys looking at all the NATO nuclear policies and arrangements and things like that. Um, unfortunately, that tour was canceled because of COVID-19, but I, I felt that that was my one door <laughs> that was opened and then slipped shut really quickly. But uh, I'm currently a student in the National Security LLM program with Georgetown Law. So I'm still learning, still trying to keep my knowledge fresh and still trying to be a contributing members to the WMD community and still wanting to see how I can use my legal professions and how to use legal instruments to solve some of the intractable problems. So, yeah. Jenny, thank you so much for those personal reflections. I think, again, this is the, you're, this is the right forum. And, and I... Hope you know that WCAPS, our goal is to make sure doors continue to stay open. So I, I just really appreciate you sharing your story. And I think there's so much of that that would resonate with so many other women of color. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. I will turn it over to Major Majidi to make sure to be, you can hear about her background as well and where she was right before applying to the program and where she's been afterwards. But, but before I do, I just want to say also thank you for all, all the work that you've done during this pandemic too. So thank you very much for those reflections and your comments. Over to Major Majidi. Well, thank you. I don't even know how you follow that up. She's done amazing work. That, that's truly awesome. So before I signed up for the program, I was at the Pentagon. I was working in G1. And so managing um, a portfolio for the Army Medical Command. After that, I was with a com combat support hospital. And then I came uh, back to the staff level working specifically, again, for structure issues. Right now, I am deciding to help put together what's called long-term health education. And we are going to see about various programs that officers can sign up for. The Army does have a lot of programs 
that it can that it offers people. But my background has been technical. So, you know, bios microbiologist and geneticist. I've worked at NIH and that's that's what I did, you know, in my 20s. And so when I decided to pivot and work on more HR, same as Jenny, it was because WMD still interested me. I still, but I wanted to be more on the policy side. Now, being in the army, we kind of go um, on active duty. As Jenny knows, you go where they kind of tell you to go. So I've, I have worked on our COVID-19 task force here. And again, it's more administrative. I've worked on the force health protection plan. So the students that come, you know, we help set up the policies, the screening centers, you know, make sure the rosters of individuals that are going to be doing the screening. Um, right now we're going through, you know, our tiers for, for the vaccine and trying to get the vaccine educated education program rolling. So again, still more administrative, but I'm on the force health protection, public health side, you know, policy implementation side. And that's what I do enjoy because it's making sure we are doing the right thing by every individual that comes through um, Joint Base San Antonio. So it's been, you know, it's been some long days, you know, some disagreements as far as how to plan, especially with students and personnel and instructors who have to still be um, 99.9% of the time in the classroom to for those that don't know, when you're at basic training or AIT, that can't be done virtually, as Professor Maddox might remember. Basic training, I wish we could have done basic training virtually, but we we manage and keep, you know, we keep people's children safe. And to, you know, so far we haven't had any catastrophes here. We've kept everyone safe. So that's what we've been doing. Now, like I said, for our program to continue, um, I think WMD is very important. And I think that we, need to continue to remember that this niche, as Professor Maddox said, is in every, almost every organization within the DOD for sure, and then within Department of Treasury. So this degree makes you a specialty, um, a specialized individual that can be used or utilized almost anywhere. You know, same as Jenny, of course, it helps that if you're already in the government, it's funded. I mean, that's one of those no brainers. But if it interests you, especially just for the graduate certificate and it's funded, it's going to open doors for you. It's going to provide opportunities for you. I think it's um, it's definitely something you should take advantage of. There are very few times in your life where you can have the ability to, to experience something new and not have to you know, pay for that yourself, but you get so much more. Professor Madison's class is writing intensive. <laughs> and when I say that, it, it doesn't mean it's, you know, 7,000 words a week. It is still writing intensive. <laughs> and it's truly, it truly helps you learn how to write better, which is we all know some people are great writers naturally. Most of us are not. And he really does help you become a better writer, which I think if nothing else, it will help you out in whatever career field you decide at the end. But definitely within policy writing and WMD, which I'm, I have to talk to you offline, Professor Maddox, but we, we we have some work to do, sir. Thank you so, so, so much for sharing your experience. And, and, and yes, I think we're always trying to be better writers. So thank you to professors like Dr. Maddox, who have helped, you know, a lot of us gain these skill sets along the way.